One of the things that's becoming more obvious to those of us that perhaps reading inspirational material or having certain things happen in our lives is that there is a tremendous integrated state that's becoming more aware, consciously aware to us as individuals. And sound and color um, are two very different processes, uh, visual, audio, and yet they actually contain a similar basis of experience. And tonight I'll be able to demonstrate what that experience can mean for each individual. And first I'd like to speak more briefly about sound than color because I have a, a wider interest in color. But you can't divide the two if you're uh, looking for a wider experience, if you're looking for more knowledge, how to integrate those two subjects. Pythagoras, amongst many, was very interested in the relationship between color and sound. And as with much of his work, which was not published, he was very much aware that there may be a similarity between the seven notes, the seven major notes in the musical scale, and the seven colors in the spectrum. And we now know through scientific process that if you raise sound from hertz, so many cycles a second, uh, which only go in the, in the tens and hundreds, up to tetrahertz, which are hundreds of thousands of cycles a second, that there is a comparative relationship between those frequencies. So, for instance, if you were to speed up the sound of middle C on the piano into a light frequency, you would find it would reach red, which is the bottom of our visual scale in frequencies. It's the slowest frequency. So there is a direct relationship between sound and color from a vibration, from a frequency point of view, from a scientific point of view. To speak about the relationship of sound and the self, I like to use the analogy of an orchestra in the way that we feel and sense what we might choose to call frequencies or sensations within ourselves that combine with musical instruments. My mother always says, I can't listen to a, to a violin section in an orchestra without bursting into tears. So there's something about a violin section in an orchestra that for my mother has, we might call it a tingle factor, but for her it's a very emotional experience. So I like to look at the, the instruments within an orchestra and how they relate to our experience, our tingle factor. If we, if we start with the, the deeper, larger sounds, and we, we perhaps think of a, a string bass, a double bass, this is a large instrument creating a deep frequency. Now, if you look at when you hold a double bass, your physical body is very much in contact with this instrument. Your contact with the instrument is you're very much playing the instrument and your playing hand is actually in relationship to this part of the body. Now, for, uh, is everybody here familiar with chakras? 
and energies within the physical body. Okay. So you'll know immediately if I stand in the pose of a string bass player, you'll see where this hand is in relationship to the root and the sacral plexus. Okay. So we have an instrument here that creates both a deep sound and which is related immediately to our physical responses. Now, I've played string bass, and I've played lots of instruments over the years, but I've played string bass, and you do lean into the instrument, and you can physically feel the sound from that instrument coming through the body. And in actual fact, when you, when you play it, it's the pelvic bone that usually is in contact with the instrument. So I believe there is an association with the sensation of a string bass. Now, it's interesting, isn't it, that there are very few pieces written for a string bass as a solo instrument. It doesn't somehow swell the emotion, does it? Or, or it might fire us physically because it's a deep, perhaps a rhythmic sound. It's part of the rhythm section in a jazz band or a light orchestra. A rhythm section would usually be perhaps an acoustic, originally would have been an acoustic guitar strumming out of rhythm along with a bass following the bass pattern and perhaps percussion. And they are not uh, ethereal instruments. They are very much physical instruments. Drums are, are not only physical in the way that one would play them, but their sound interestingly, although we hit drums, unless we hit them with the hand, is very removed from the physical body. And we equate drums with the, the sounding of messages. If you go back to getting sound from one group of tribal natives to another, then you would use drumming, perhaps, to be able to hear a distant sound, a distant message. So although it sends a message from us, of us, it is only the sending of the message through that instrument. It doesn't relate to us. There's an excitement with drumming. But there's very, I would say, there is no emotion in drumming, apart from the excitement value. You wouldn't say you felt emotional listening to somebody having a good go on a set of drums, would you? Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't form that sort of bond with us. If we, if we come from the the double bass into the cello. The cello, we're sitting with the cello. And the cello then, when you sit with the cello, the body of the cello then comes further up the physical body. The neck is here and it finishes at a sort of solar plexus area. So the instrument is smaller and the frequency is raised. So we're moving from the root and the sacral into the solar plexus. And interestingly, I would imagine for most people here, I know certainly for myself, hearing a cello well played can be quite an emotional experience. A very beautiful sound. And the cello is one of the few instruments which actually contains the human voice range. So it naturally is associated with us and to us through its range of sound because it's the same sounds that we can physically produce as a human being. But it, I'm, just in, I'm very interested in where it sits in the physical body. And you can begin to see the association with the size of the instrument 
and the frequency it produces. So for some people, the tingle factor will be, I like those big bass sounds. So there's something, something rhythmic, something rooted, something uh, instinctively exciting, perhaps, about drumming and rhythm and bass notes. If any of you have been to a live concert where there was a loud band, or a, a large orchestra, when you have a lot of large notes, deeper notes, you can actually feel it hit you in the physical body. And as you raise those frequencies, where you feel that sound hit you will rise also in the physical sensation. So when we come up from the cello, I'm just looking at stringed instruments at the moment, but when we come to a violin, we notice an immediate move from the physical into across the heart center section and we're using both arms in an upward manner we're no longer using them over the physical body we've now raised the frequency even in the way that we play the instrument we've taken it from being root and sacral and solar plexus up towards the heart and we're moving our arm across the heart center in both bowing and and in playing so it's interesting that the heart center is connected. And uh, here we start to sort of get a little bit of metaphysics coming into this because I don't want to speak separately about metaphysics because metaphysics is, is understanding the, the message of mind through body. And you might hear me use phrases which I believe explain metaphysics more readily rather than trying to explain exactly what metaphysics is scientifically, which is very difficult to do anyway, because metaphysics is what's behind the physics, what's behind the understanding, what's the message, what's the hidden message behind things. So when you're, you, when you're playing a violin, you're talking about the heart center, and the heart center is connected to arms, how we handle things, um, how we embrace things in life. Now, the heart vibration we begin to move from the physical into the etherical. So violins, perhaps my mother feels moved by the sound of violins because it produces a heart-bound emotion in some way within her. Perhaps it connects through experience or past with sound. She doesn't know why she's affected by a, a string section in a violin, but directly she hears it, she begins to well up with tears. So it may, we may equate that metaphysically, perhaps with something, some loss in her life, or some lack of feeling uh, a bond or connected in some way within her life, metaphysically, through the heart center and out through the arms. So imagining playing the violin. Now, it's interesting, isn't it, that if one listens to a, a beautiful violin solo in a well-known classical piece, it's very easy to be moved. We use the term so um, easily, don't we, to be moved by music, but we're, we're really speaking about the movement. It's an emotional thing that we're talking about, that we're feeling, that we're experiencing. And we're talking about being moved by something which is being played through an instrument which is very much expressing the heart. And when you rise beyond that frequency, if we look at the New Age movement and relaxation meditation tapes, for instance, where you have the sounds of pan pipes 
and flutes and something which is more spiritual than just the sound, than just the feeling. We're moving beyond physical feeling and emotional sensations when we hear the flute. And where is the flute? Okay. The flute is even played in line with the throat. We've now moved out of the physical body altogether. We're now speaking about the ethereal body. We're talking about mind and process of mind, communication. And the flute is played in that plane. If we try to imagine an instrument which is purely spiritual, if I were to ask you to imagine the sound of a bell, whether it be a church bell, whether it be a little hand bell, whether it be um, perhaps one of these tiny little bells that you get on chains. If you imagine the sound of a bell, where do you imagine that sound coming from? Anybody like to give me a, a sense where they feel that sound comes from? Heaven. Heaven. Okay. I mean, does anybody think of a bell being rung here? <laughs> I, I would imagine that most people are imagining a bell like this. Okay, the, the sound, just without us even knowing whether it's a big bell or a small bell, if we talk about the sound of a bell, the etherealness, the spiritualness of a bell, it's something, you see, we don't, we don't generally handle bells, do we? If you think about it, um, all the instrumentation there is, and yet... Normally speaking, if we hear a bell struck, if you're listening to a tape with a, with a very fine, perhaps a high note of a bell somewhere on that tape, it doesn't, you don't imagine somebody playing it at the bottom of a set, set of steps, do you? And as if you're above, somewhere above them. That sound comes in on this level, doesn't it? It comes from the head or above the head. And it's interesting to note, isn't it, that spiritual or spiritually aware statements are made with bells. If we think of Tibetan monks um, and the sound of bells and gongs and cymbals and so on, they're all sounds which have, uh, apart from obviously the very large gongs, which are very much to do with pulling the power of energy into the physical body from your feet up. I don't know if any of you have ever experienced an eight-foot gong. It's a tremendous experience. Uh, I actually experienced it to, through what is called a 1,000K rig, <laughs> a 1K rig, which is 1,000 watts worth of PA. And if you can imagine somebody walking up and hitting an 8-foot gong and then amplifying it a 1,000 times, you'll get some idea why I couldn't mistake where the frequencies began. In fact, it was a very large audience and, uh, and several hundreds of people there, and everybody could feel the floor shake. And the energy came up from the floor. If you've ever heard a large gong start, it doesn't go crash when you hit it. It sort of start, it rumbles like thunder, and then it comes up. And it seems to start with this sound, which is almost below the audible spectrum of sound, which obviously is from the ground up. And then it ends up with a sound which is, which is well, I'm even making that sound. I'm going, and it's at this level. It's at the lung, throat, and mouth level. So the gong goes through this tremendous expanse from the base 
right for bringing this energy right up through the body. So we can see the association of pulling energy in to an inner temple with a very large gong. Uh, but the other sounds that are then used, perhaps, are wind chimes. For me, the sound, you know, wind chimes is something very spiritual, very ethereal about that. A tremendous quality about wind chimes. And I don't, I, I think it's twofold. I think it's, it's, it's not just the association of sound, which is somehow beyond, far beyond the, the physical sensation, but that it's so random, isn't it? You'll never know which is the next of those. If you're sort of really listening, there's something about, you know, you just don't know which of those notes is coming next. It's that, that perhaps that are perhaps a simple connection in some way to the chaos theory, you know, the randomness of it all. Here we are all trying to put it into a pigeonhole, trying to rationalize it as we try to within this dimension within this experience and yet everybody I mean so many of you I'm, I said wind chimes and you went ah oh, you know it's that oh yeah I love them the sound of wind chimes why what is it about the wind chimes it's like the flute and the bell together isn't it, it and, and yet and these when you get the little wind chimes are very very small ones and it's the high the high frequency and it's interesting isn't it that these instruments are physically connected to our experience, not just through the shape and design and where they sit on the physical body, but also in the sound that they make, the depth and the quality of the sound that they make. And that as that physically and audibly rises in frequency, so does the sensation, so does the tingle factor rise with it too. So does the feeling of immenseness and greatness um, and power through the string section, the, the depth of the string section with the basses and the cellos and so on, and then as you move up through other instruments. It's interesting, we have modern equivalents in the saxophone. If you, if you think of jazz as an example, because I have a love of jazz, and you think of a well-known trumpet player, there are very few pieces. I have one piece on a CD that I would say sounded emotional because the trumpet is a is a is an instrument of it announces something doesn't it i mean it's no wonder they they use them to announce the arrival of of kings and queens and presidents and and so on it it has this great forceful forward pushing announcing energy a trumpet is tremendous energy it's it's hardly ethereal is it a trumpet and it's interesting that if you see a jazz player um, engrossed in trying to perform a, a ballad with, with a sense of emotion, that he doesn't play it out here, does he? He plays it like this. He's playing it across the physical body. He's trying to almost physically bring the vibration of his experience of that emotion into the way that he plays that piece. And I've only one, one track played by a wonderful jazz um, trumpet player. You might, some, if any of you are interested, Win, uh, Winter Marsalis. And um, he, uh, he's still in playing this particular piece. It's a wonderful ballad. He uses a mute, so the sound is warmer and softer. 
It's not hard, it's not penetrating, it doesn't announce. It speaks quietly and with more depth than the trumpet would normally. So he is enhancing the quality of emotion in his instrument by blocking the sound hole up, by rounding the sound off, and then by playing the piece down, picking up that physicalness, that sensation, as he plays that piece. But now, here's an instrument that most people would equate with emotion, and that's the tenor saxophone. If you listen to jazz, or if you listen to saxophones being played, if we think of where the tenor saxophone is, it comes down across the physicalness of the body, again, and it has the deeper sound qualities, again. But the interesting thing about bringing together the emotional and, the, and towards the more ethereal is that as we move from the tenor sax into the alto, of course it shortens, comes up into the solar plexus, and when we go out into a soprano sax, it then stretches out. But you can't, you can't it's, well, you're fine if you do try and play soprano sax like you would a trumpet. Of course, your head would be back because of the way the reed is, is placed within the instrument. So generally, you would play it out here. So you're playing from the, just above the solar plexus, from the heart center, out through to the etherealness of, of sound again. And with soprano sax, there is a certain quality. The most well-known, I suppose, uh, soprano saxophone player at this moment in time is Kenny G. And if any of you have or have not heard of his music, it's, uh, there are some lovely pieces which have a lovely quality to them, an emotional quality to them. And here is a saxophone, which is an instrument which brings a sound of, of emotion and sp some form of spirituality with it with the raising of that frequency, the raising of that vibration. So just using the analogy of the orchestra, we can begin to see that there is a relationship between man and sound and the physicalness of sound. If we go beyond the physicalness of sound into light, into those sensations and how we connect with light, we're really only raising the steps of perception, dimension, uh, frequency. You could think of it, if you like, at the very base end of sound, you could say we have earthquakes, where you can physically feel the power of that depth of sound as a movement. If we go right to the other end of the spectrum, where we then become uh, aware of light and speak of infrared, then there is a physicalness to infrared also, isn't there? Because we feel the energy from an infrared lamp. And we're then talking about red as an energy, uh, but we're also we're speaking of it as a colour. So we're now talking about colour in association to the physicalness of being able to sense with that colour. Now, most of you, because I mentioned earlier and you all said, oh yes, we're okay, we've heard about chakras and, and that sort of thing, that helps. <laughs> helps me, rather having to go into the whole process of talking about chakras and energy and that they're all colour related. Now most of you also will know that they not only relate to the notes, the seven notes in the octave, starting with C, middle C at the root. So you've got C at the root, you've got D at the sacral plexus, you've got E 
uh, emotional at the solar plexus. And it's interesting, I, 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 I always like to remember this. I, in fact, I, used to, I remember this. At this point, I always remember that the guitar is strung to E. And when we play the guitar, it's right across the solar plexus. I mean, even the instrument, I just find that fascinating. But even the instrument is tuned to the solar plexus, and we play it at the solar plexus. Then, if uh, we're looking at this colour association, and you're coming up through all the colours of the spectrum, each related to those nodes, when you get to flats and sharps, you're looking at colour combinations. Now, I used to do this talk with tapes, and uh, in fact, uh, at one point, I used to take my keyboard along and play my keyboard to demonstrate this, and it didn't work. <laughs> I have to tell you, it didn't work. The two people sat nearest to the speakers, got all the sensations and all the colours when I played a sound. In other words, if I played middle C on the keyboard, if they had their eyes closed, and if they didn't feel that energy, they would say, oh, yeah, I saw this bright red colour. Okay. Or they'd say, oh, I could feel it in my legs and all around my hips. Uh, I could actually feel that energy. So they would say, well, if they knew of the relationship between chakras and the colour, then they, would most pro- they might say, so, you know, I take it that was C. And that was fine for the people that sat next to me. But as I got further away in the hall, because of the acoustics and ambience generally in halls, by the time you get to the people at the back, they were seeing a completely different range of colours and having a completely different range of sensations, which is very interesting because it just shows you how sound changes so dramatically across a distance. It's a bit like the Chinese whisper, isn't it? If I say something to you and ask you to pass it all the way around to Nigel, by the time it gets to Nigel, it'll be a different message. And it's like the message of sound is that unless we're, it's, unless it's, we're right up close to it, you know, we don't perhaps get that, that sensation correct. But here's an interesting thought. That's just working with a tape. But now a tape does not expand across the width of this room as would a complete string section from an orchestra. And if I, if I had people sat at the front and people sat at the back and we had a complete string section here tonight, you know, I think everybody in this room would get both the colour and the feeling, the sensation, because of the band, the width of the band of energy that's coming out. So I found that working with a keyboard and, and speakers, and that didn't work. It's much easier to talk about it <laughs> than it is to try and demonstrate it. It may very well be that the change of sound in distance is very like the, sound, the, the change of light into solid objects. Much of my work has been with crystals. And one thing I do know is, for instance, um, orange calcite is only orange calcite because it slows down the speed of ultraviolet light so you can see it. In other words, the speed of light as it travels through the atmosphere, as it hits that solid object, it's slowed down and we can then see it as a colour. So it's interesting to, to 
sort of speculate on what is happening for sound across distance and why it changes colour. So let's come on to colour because this relationship with sound and colour is very, very important because when we're listening to music and we're excited by the sound of music, or we're moved by the sound of music. It may f- feel spiritual, it may feel dramatic, it might be a... I mean, all modern music comes with a pulse, a beat, a rhythm, which is instinctive, which is quite basic, which has this energy. We, we speak about the power of energy um, in music. Um, and I want to bring music and colour together through a very simple explanation of black. Because we're talking through the colours in relationship to sound and moving now into colour, I'd like to join the two through the experience of, of black. We think of energy in the physical sense as red. I think most people here would say, you know, well, yes, I can imagine red as being energy. And black is how one uses energy. Or whether you won't accept energy at all or are not prepared to use that energy. And let me explain, using a simple analogy, that context between colour and sound. And I like to do it through black. If any of you have come across those, or some of you may have had a past interest In heavy metal music, the predominant colour is black. Black t-shirts, this is nothing for those of you wearing black or black t-shirts this evening, okay? (laughs) Um, And I'll explain what black is. And it's not, black is not a negative colour. Let's get that straight right from the beginning, okay? Black is not a negative colour, all right? It's an extremely sensitive, not a sensitive colour, it's an indicator of extreme sensitivity or those who are very sensitive. You will find people that listen to heavy metal music have perhaps had some experience within their lives, especially in childhood, of emotion and difficulty and perhaps trauma within the family situation. And they turn to heavy metal music or loud rock music to express their anger of that pain. And if you can imagine standing in, and you'll usually find it's their bedroom, <laughs> standing in their bedroom surrounded with the black posters, with all of the, with the uh, generally speaking, with quite angry motifs of their favourite bands. Uh, most of it is very aggressive in its illustrative power. And it comes along with the sensitivity of the individual, the anger that is being expressed through both the music and through the posters. And so you're standing in the room with the posters and the stereo will not be on quietly. I have had personal experience of this and I can tell you it won't be on too. All right? If, it ha- if, this, if this audio system has ten sections on it, it'll be on 11. And the sound will be up as loud as the speakers or those in the house will allow. All right? And when those in the house aren't there, it's even louder. Okay? And you will find the people listening to this music 
are dressed in black. Okay, black t-shirt, black jeans, black leathers sometimes. It moves into black leathers for out for outdoor wear and so on. But indoors it's likely to be black t-shirts, black jeans and so on. In other words, predominantly black. The experience that I believe, this is only, all the things that I'm saying this evening are just my own sort of personal interest in these subjects. Is that what I believe perhaps is going on in this situation is that if you are sensitive through trauma, through difficulties in your life, and you choose to allow a, a form of music to express how you have felt or how you still feel, then black is a cloaking device. All right? And I'll use the funeral as an example. We wear black in this country to cloak our emotions. We don't want emotions coming to us because it's going to start us off. And we don't want other people to know our emotions because if we start to get upset, they'll get upset. And if we see them getting upset, it will make us even more upset because here in this country, we bury everything. And if you look at other countries where they wear white at a funeral and they stand over the coffin and they wail for two or three days or longer and express that emotion, get all that feeling, all that pain out instead of cloaking it and holding it all in saying, I mustn't cry at the funeral. That black is holding in that sensation, that energy. So here we have perhaps young people who have all this emotion and it's cloaked in black because they feel pain, they feel difficulty. And what's happening is... If they were wearing bright colours, can you imagine what is going to happen to their sensitive emotional selves as it's bombarded by all this noise, this sound, this energy? Imagine how you would feel in a pair of red trousers with a red T-shirt, all right, with this sound coming at you. There have been um, experiments with this. I did read once that somebody said, if you just don't feel you've got to get up and go in the morning, then put on red underwear, stand under a red light, and play heavy rock music at your root chakra. (laughs) And you'll be ready for the day in a matter of moments. You know, well, fine. (laughs) I don't see many of us actually going to those extremes, all right? But you can understand what may be happening. So the natural, because we're all aware of these things, we're not perhaps consciously aware, but because we're all aware of sound and light and colour and energy being relative to each other, we would put black on being faced with this barrage of sound because if we take the power and the energy and the anger from that sound into ourselves, it's only going to make it worse. Because this sound represents how we feel, not how we actually perhaps want to be. It represents our anger, our distress, our trauma. But it doesn't mean to say necessarily that we want to be angry. So we cloak, or those people listening to this music, are cloaking themselves in black because they would only make their own situation even worse if they didn't do it. It cloaks all that energy. And that energy, although it is sound, is also colour. 
And although we don't see sound as color, there will be a relative association between those frequencies because there is an interconnected relationship to all frequencies and energies throughout the cosmos. So black is a nice way of beginning the, the color process. And what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to come amongst you, as they say, and look at the colors that you're wearing and speak about perhaps what's happening for you in your life at this moment in time. Because you have, you have chosen to put on these colors. And there is a reason for it. I once met, I once met a man, and for those, please forgive me, those of you who have heard me speak about color before, who was wearing a brown suit and brown shoes and a brown tie and a brown shirt. Okay, I looked around carefully just to make sure there wasn't anybody wearing a brown suit. Around him. And uh, he actually came to, uh, came to me at the time for a crystal reading. He didn't pick a brown crystal, by the way, but he might just as well have done. He picked a crystal that related to that part of the body. And we're talking about the color association. When he picked this particular crystal, basically my overall message to him was, well, you know, the, much of your life you've just not let go of. He was saying, nope, so determinedly to everything, confirming everything that I was saying. Uh, the crystal that I was looking at for him, uh, very strongly related to his father. And uh, I said, oh, I see there's a, a, a very strong and difficult connection with your father. And I have to say that I wasn't working necessarily psychically or beyond perception of the physicalness of the crystal. I was just working with the association of color and the physical body. And he said, no, 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 I haven't got any, trouble, any problems with relating to my father. He died years ago, and I've forgotten that. You know. <laughs> Fine. So he hadn't let go of that, had he? And his entire apparel told me so. Because brown is a mixture of red and black. And it equates with the balance of movement. And it's not energy coming in, and it's not energy going out. It's stuck. It's energy in the middle, not going anywhere. It's a combination of the two colors. So... Here was this man in this brown suit. And you could say, well, perhaps he couldn't afford to buy another one. Right? Well, it was about 1965 when he bought this suit, I should think. I was going by the lapels, you know, <laughs> the sort of out-to-the-shoulder blade. When you think about that, well, that's not letting go of anything else in your life either, is it? You know, if your belief is that this is all you've got, all you're ever going to have, and nothing's going to change, and nothing's going to get more interesting than this brown suit, and so why, why, why bother to part with it, then... This is speaking volumes, isn't it, in itself. So we come, first of all, to Mandy. But as I'm talking about brown, all right, Mandy is wearing predominantly brown-colored clothes this evening. It, in other words, if you were to look at that, you can see other colors mixed in with that, and we'll talk about those other colors mixed in. But the general feeling of that is, is brownness. So it doesn't mean to say that she's a an old stick in the mud, and she's not, she's not moving forward. But she may be feeling at this time that in some way in her life she's not really doing what she wants to do. She's not really using her energy and moving forward as she would want to be. We put these things on. We choose to put these things on out of the wardrobe, and they are telling us something. They're doing two things. First of all, they're telling us something, which is the metaphysics. 
Now, there's a message hidden behind our choice of color. And the color that you wear draws towards you that frequency of light that the color is. So it's not only telling you something, but it's trying to unstick this energy. The, this energy is coming in, and it's not only telling you that you are unable to move forward, but it's saying, you know, well, let's draw some energy in here. Let's draw the mixture of the black and the red. And let's see whether or not we can sort of get one of those frequencies moving. Because we're drawing that color, that energy towards us. The good news is, is that in her skirt, there is uh, green and red. Now, the red is, is a deeper burgundy red. It's not a bright red, is it? It's not a searing color. But it's a nice warm red. So... That's, that's allowing some time. I would have said at this time, that's allowing some time for thought. Something is having to change up here. Now, the reason we know something is changing up here is that this is not an unbusy skirt, is it? It's actually very nice, isn't it? I like that. I think it's nice. Um, but there's a lot going on on this skirt. And the designs don't go up and down. They go round and round. So what does going round and round suggest to you? Sorry? Going round in circles, yeah, the mind's working something out, it's going round and round, okay. Um, at the, the, the thing is, it's interesting that at the base, it is black and red, the balance of that energy, drawing some energy in. So obviously at this time, Mandy is looking at taking space to think things through, to unlock all of the things that are going on in her mind, all these thoughts that she's having about what she'd like to do, how she'd like to move forward with doing it. Because black, the good side of black, is not, not the cloaking of, of sensitive individuals, but black is energy that we use to move forward. All right? And I use a simple analogy of the black leg, the guy that walks through the picket line. He marches through the picket line. When we're in the black at the bank, we've moved forward into a better state. So, I mean, if we've been working hard, which is moving forward, if we've been out there doing things, getting on in our lives, then we will have moved forward. So in moving forward, we will have been using the black energy. Now, conversely, there is a downside to all colors and all metaphysical information, which is the other side to black is not using that energy at all. is just being in one place continually, all the time, never moving, not realizing or believing that there's an opportunity to move forward. But that's not the case for Mandy because the red is there. And the red is the energy. It's the energy that comes in. The physical energy we spoke of, feeling infrared as energy, as heat, that's the energy that's coming in. And she's looking at how she uses her natural energy, her vivacity, and her interests. She's working all this out on, how, what can I do with it? How best can I put it to use? Now, she wants to help people. Now, that's the green. That's the green that there is in the skirt. And that green, green is an outward-going energy. <clears throat> Let's talk about this. Yes, lady here has a pink. Would you say it was pinkish? It's a rose pink. Yes, and it's a nice, nice, nice colour, a deep, 
deep rose pink, which is a very good colour. I want to look at the difference between pink and green. We've just talked about red and black. Now, red and black are the root. And as far as I'm able to ascertain, energy comes in on the left-hand side and goes out on the right-hand side. And again, you'll find me using analogies all evening. It's rather like going to the shop and buying something. Okay? You hand the money over with the right hand and you take the goods with the left hand. Coming in, going out. If you're left-handed, it may be the other way round. But not always. We have to talk about the predominance of left-handedness and right-handedness. And you usually find that left-handed people are slightly ambidextrous in things as well. Or, yes, well, I write with my left hand, but I eat with my knife and fork the way round, and I play golf right-handed, and, and you think, well, hang on, it gets a bit confusing. But when people are predominantly left-handed, you often find the energy is the other way round. So for predominantly left-handed people, the right leg would be red and the left leg would be black. But for those of us that are right-handed, it is beginning to realize that um, for most people, it's very unusual if the, ch the colors change the other way around. So this is the red leg, this is the black leg. Let's, let's look at um, the far end of black. The far end of striding through life and ha having a good balance of energy. Let's look at the dogma. Let's look at the kicking attitude. Let's look at the bother boots. <laughs> black bother boots. All right? I'm just using that as an ana analogy. But let's imagine a black boot that it, that it kicks or that it stamps. Now, for everybody here who has ever stamped their foot <laughs> when they got upset or angry or annoyed, try and imagine stamping the wrong foot. Because interestingly, you'll know which, that there is a right and a wrong foot. For those of you who are right-handed, try stamping your left foot in anger. It doesn't happen. It doesn't work. Your foot's halfway towards the ground and it's going like this. You know, it's, 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 there's no impetus in it. It feels totally incorrect, unless you're left-handed. The, that's the, the extremes of that, of, of black energy, all right, is not doing anything at all or being dogmatic. But in balance, using that energy is striding through life, walking through life, feeling comfortable with being out there, motivated, moving forward, doing in life. The, the balance of red energy is very much to do with the physicalness, having physical energy come in. But a lady once with osteoporosis... And she quite categorically told me when she chose red as the colour she was drawn to at that moment in time, I asked her to choose from a complete spectrum. And she chose red. And she said, I can't understand why I've chosen that because I will not have red in my life. I have never had clothes that were red. I have never had anything in my house that was red. I hate red. I dislike it intensely. So why am I drawn to it? And because red is associated with physicalness and physical energy and is associated with the building of bones, the structure of the physical body, I said to her, my immediate reaction was, do you have any problems with, with your bones? You know, and it's like, my goodness, how do you know? And I said, well, that's indicative of, of 
being fearful of this red energy. Now, I would go much further than that metaphysically, um, although I, and I don't want to spend long on this, but I would imagine that some trauma or some difficulty within her life disassociated her from the feminineness of life and energy. She did not want to be a mother. She did not want to be a grandmother. She told me so. Now she's telling me. I don't have, I mean, and there it is. It's all there. Red is a feminine energy. It's not masculine. Don't think of red as anger. Think of red as energy. What do you do with it? You can either use it as energy and be vital, or you could use it as energy to be angry. That's your choice. But it is just energy. And it is a feminine energy. Black is a masculine energy. And if you think, we go back to the funeral, if you think about it, here we are, all trying to be men, including the ladies. Don't cry. You know? Don't seem to be crying. Okay? So we're all wearing this masculine colour, you know, saying, look, I'm okay. There's nothing wrong with me. You know, because we don't want this energy to go out. We don't want any, everybody else to know or feel our emotions going out. So that's the root. When we come up to the sacral plexus, the orange, we're, now, we're not talking about brown anymore. We're talking about moving energy up. And we're talking about how we sort things out. If you think about it, it's where the intestines are. So that's where our digestive system sorts things out in life. Now, there isn't anybody wearing orange. Think of, a, a, think of two wardrobes. A lady's wardrobe and a gentleman's wardrobe. You open a lady's wardrobe and generally it's filled with lots of colours. And you open the gentleman's wardrobe and what's it got? Brown, black, navy blue, and I always use this joke but I always use it, a pink shirt from 1965. <laughs> still not being worn. You see, women associate intuitively through colour. They are, not consciously, but they are, oh, becoming consciously, of course, but they were not always consciously aware that colour was representing how they felt. They were saying so, but they weren't consciously aware they were saying so. So they go to the wardrobe, and for the gentleman here, you see, it's that, I've got nothing to wear. Now, the I've got nothing to wear doesn't mean it's not the right shape or the right length. It means it's not the right colour. I've got nothing to wear means I can't find the colour that speaks about how I feel at this moment in time. Part of the process that you're going through when you choose colour is you're saying something about what's happening for you right at that moment in time. If we then go a little further, We'll see then that men have been have allowed themselves to be kept in an unaware state. Business generally demands you wear a suit. There are very few colours in the demanding world of business. They are all to keep you mentally focused on your job. They're either black which means that you're not supposed to show anything of yourself in that process, they're most probably likely to be navy. Blue shirts are acceptable in pale blues, which is communication. Navy blue suits is keep your mind on the job. Navy blue is the mind, the colour of the mind. So men have been kept or allowed themselves to be kept from much of the information that is associated with colour that women intuitively are connected to 
whether they are aware of it or not. Now, when we come from sorting things out in the sacral plexus, we come up to yellow. Now, yellow is an invigorating color. It's a lively color. But it also is an emotional color as well. And it shows often people who wear it are perhaps sensitive as individuals. I worked with a lady who wore very, very pale lemon yellow. Skirt, blouse, top, coat, shoes, tights, all the same color. Pale, pale lemon yellow. She was a fruitarian. And she was going through a very difficult time emotionally. And I said, how are things for you at this moment in time? And she said, mm, pretty difficult. I mean, she's, the color was telling me. You know, it was telling me. And um, I said, what are you eating at the moment? Uh, not a lot, you know. Melons, bananas, grapefruit. It's about it. Same colour. As we all become more aware of colour. Try this for yourselves. You'll know that most major supermarkets, when you go through the doors, you've got all the groceries, haven't you? They get you all the fruits. And you can choose by colour. Your greens, fruits, reds, oranges. Now... Most of us will know if you want something sorting out in your system, a couple of pints of orange juice will do it. Oranges are very good for the balance of the alkaline acidic basis within the physical body. They're to do with the balance. They're very good for sorting out the balance. Very good for the intestines. Very good for detoxifying. Um, excellent for the body, orange juice. So you can choose your fruits and your vegetables... And uh, they'll be saying, you know, if you all come out with just a bag of potatoes, we've got a problem. What value is a potato? I mean, it's a, it fills the gap, doesn't it? Yes, it does have certain nutrients and proteins and certain value. But it is not going to be the most exciting meal you've had, is it? Just potatoes. Okay, if we're looking at the brown exterior of the potato, look at the value of food value in a potato. Yes, there is some value in it, but not much on its own. So you can try that as an experiment. See what you're drawn to by colour in foods, and then buy those foods, eat those foods, and see how you feel after a week or two of choosing those foods by colour. Now, don't come back and complain to me if you're violently ill, <laughs> because if violently ill was what you were supposed to be that's what you'll be <clears throat> no different to the lady I met who said I've been working so hard I really need a break and fell over and broke her arm got two weeks off <laughs> you get what you ask for so watch out so solar plexus is a place of emotion sensitivity Sensitive people wear yellows. But also people with great energy wear bright yellows. And then when we 
and go a little further than yellow and we go into gold, um, we're then talking about a different frequency again. We're talking, when we start to talk about metallic colours, we begin to talk about spiritual colours. And gold is spiritual awareness. It's having an awareness of the whole, the oneness of life, yourself within it. So, we come up to the heart centre. And the heart centre, like the root, is two colours. It's bicoloured. Pink and green. And for the right-handed of us, the left arm and across the heart is pink. And the right arm, including the lungs and across the shoulders, is green. Now, can I ask the lady here, who's wearing a green jacket, do you suffer from discomfort across the shoulders? You've had pain earlier this year. Can I ask you if you bought the jacket earlier this year? It's your daughter's. Okay, all right. That's interesting because the lady's wearing something which is not of hers, so it does represent directly. But if if you're happy, yes, I was gonna, just going to say if you're happy to wear the colour, then that in itself is speaking about this frequency. And when you had the discomfort in the shoulders, did it come down the right arm? Here, which is the right side. Okay. Which is still this green is outward going energy. We think of the purest of giving, love in giving. There are two loves. Love receiving, love giving. Uh, It's not that simple, I know. But it's love for the self and love for others. And the love for others is green. Think of the trees. They give us our lives in this dimension through the process of oxygenating the air. They receive our waste and give us the thing that keeps us alive here. That is a total process of unconditional love, isn't it? Which is a total giving of love, of themselves, which is green, isn't it? Very much green process. So it would be fair to say then, as it's a colour that you actually like, is that you have been in service to people throughout your life. So you are saying something about yourself when you choose to put colours on. Did anybody change before they came out this evening? Were they wearing something and thought, no, I, don't, I won't want to wear that? I mean, apart from the lady who had the orange on, did you, were you wearing, was there anybody wearing something? What were you wearing? Blue. So it was all blue? Yes. And pale blue? Okay, so do you, is it a favourite outfit? I mean, do you like pale blues? I like blues better uh, than any other. Right, and the turquoisey lighter blues as opposed to the midnight. No, this is what sort of soft blue like this. The pastel blues, yeah, okay. So would it be fair to say that um, if you had physical discomfort, say it all be in the neck and throat, nape of the neck, perhaps spreading across the shoulders to a certain degree, but certainly in the throat area? Um. Okay. That's more through, yes, relationships, emotions, relationships. Right, so the lady here is, is obviously been to a few lectures and read a few books and, <laughs> and, and is in the awareness process in her own life because she is aware that the pale blue is, is the part of the body where we communicate 
All right, so she's saying, I recognize that in the past, because I used to wear pale blue, it was telling me that I was trying to work out my communication. And in the physical sense, the worst it could get is having a sore throat. And I suppose the easiest way to imagine that is, if you're angry at somebody, then you pull up this root instinctive energy without thought, and you push it into a place which is a pastel blue. And the two frequencies don't go together. And you either end up with uh, a restriction where you don't say anything at all and you get really angry. It's all going on inside. And so you get you know, restriction or you get constriction where all this energy is rushed through. You've brought, you've brought the wrong color into this part of your body and you've got a sore throat. Because I've, I've not the first, I, I have to say, I have actually watched people in an angry situation shouting at someone else one day having the sore throat the next or even quicker shouting at someone in the morning and having the sore throat in the afternoon where they're literally misplacing energy and they're putting one frequency into a place where it shouldn't be so as you get to the heart you have this pink and the green the pale blue we're just talking about here so were you in a communicative process today? Well, sort of, yeah. Yeah, okay. So if you, if you like, when you got up this morning, you thought, oh, I'll put that on. What you were saying to yourself in, in, uh, in an aware yet unaware state was, well, I've got things to communicate today. One of the difficult things about this is that you'll now go to your wardrobe and you'll look at what you're going to put on and you think, oh, no. <laughs> I don't want to put those brown trousers on or that brown sweater. No, no, no. I know what that means. That means my energy's not balanced. No, it's not that at all. If you've got brown and you want to put brown on, put it on because it's helping you too. It's going to be helping you come through that process, that your whole experience that helps you to see and sense what is next. Whatever it is that you're drawn to, however flamboyant it might be, it will be expressing something of you. With the lady with the the, the deep rose pink, rose pink is associated, if we look at crystals for instance, rose pink is generally associated to rose quartz. And rose quartz gives a good night's sleep. If we think of stress, okay, stress of any sort, is helped by pink because pink is self-love is being in a position in a time or a space in life when you can say hey I can do what I want to do for me I'm happy to be able to spend time doing what I want to do the other end of that is the lady next to you has a very pale pink top so and you're wearing a black, or is it very dark navy? Very dark blue. So we have a lady who's experienced in life, um, and she'll soon correct me if I'm wrong. And I know this, I've never met her before. But um, she has a very good mind. And it has been using her, she's used the power of her mind to know things in her life through the thinking logical process. That's been very good in many respects, but also it has produced 
a situation where she thinks about a process and then possibly she prefers not to say anything at all because she doesn't want to rock the boat. I mean, that would be the expression that I would use. Because the pale pink is still to do with peace. Now, white contains all colours. When we come up to the, the mind, where I spoke a moment ago about this lady has a strong mind, the indigo blue, I spoke about the navy blue suit that we find in business, and here's an interesting thought. Anybody remember the, the Chinese uniform? The deep navy blue uniform that everybody had to wear? Where is the spontaneous process of mind through thought and creativity when you are entrenched and drenched in the mind. Whether that was ever a conscious process, I doubt very much whether that was a conscious process. But they were always, as far as, as, far as I can remember from seeing coloured photographs, in grey uniforms or the deep navy. Grey are like grey areas. Okay, it's, an, it's not, There's nothing defined about a grey area. Grey is a colour which is not defining a principle at all. Whereas the navy is very much the mind. And we're, you know, if you think about that, that traditional regime of, you know, these hundreds of thousands of people kept in the mind, we don't want these people to think. Not spontaneously, not creatively. We might want them to think for the good of the, of the country, for the good of the nature. We might want them to think in a working process, but not creatively, not spontaneously. They're covered in this deep indigo. But I mean, it's practically black, wasn't it? It was a very deep colour. And the black in this case was stay where you are. It wasn't you can stride out in life and do what you want. It was stay where you are. When we go on to the other hemisphere of the brain, we're then into the purples and the violets. Okay. And you will find um, that violet and purple, is, is uh, most of you will know, is a strongly associated to spirituality. Now that is because it's the color of the hemisphere of the brain where we compute or receive or in some way transform external energy. Now, when I do talks on crystals, one of the things that I like to speak about is the pineal gland. And the pineal gland is a crystal. It's calcium carbonate. It's um, conical in shape. And it grows through your entire life. And it's plugged in, wired up, and working. Okay. And I believe, like there have been many before me, that that is very much to do with part of the process of how we pick up information. Now, for some of you, you may feel, okay, that perhaps links with psychic, clairvoyant, clairsentient, clairaudient work in some way. And for those who are interested in channeling, then it may be that that is 
the point at which this energy came in. Met a, um, a young German chap, not by chance, nothing is by chance or by coincidence, the other day, who was talking about some experiments that have been carried out in Germany recently where they've been photographing the skull after meditation, where they were finding that where people were meditating continuously on a regular basis, there was a small hole opening in the skull above the pineal gland, on the crown of the head. And they had photographed it. Now, that is, isn't actually a lot different to the chameleon who is able to change his color to his environment because he has... The bone is so thin here that the light travels right through to the pituitary and the pineal gland. The bone is so thin that the daylight outside and the color of that daylight can be picked up by the organs inside and they then transfer hormonal signals to the body which changes his temperature and therefore his skin color. Now, we don't do that. <laughs> Mind you, it would be interesting. We, we do it a little, don't we? We blush or something like that. You know, that's part of that, a hormonal process, but it's not to do with light. He is responding to light. Same as we respond to light when we choose the colors that we put on day to day. It's no different. So there is a very strong association between what is happening with you in your life at any point in time with color. Same with sound as well. And they are all metaphysically linked. They all speak about what's happening for you now. 